Amen. I hope you're not afraid to die. If you're not saved, you should be. Because what's in front of you is a Christless eternity. Thank you for that song. Very powerful question. And when you know Christ, He takes all the sting and the fear, doesn't He? So if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today, we want you to allow us the joy and the privilege of taking a Bible where we can show you how you can know for sure that you're saved. What a great day that would be in your life. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 31. Exodus 31, we're going to read a passage of Scripture there, then we're going to go to Exodus 35 and read a similar passage, and then we're going to pray and get right into the message. Exodus chapter 31. Exodus 31, we'll begin in verse number 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works, to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in cutting of stones, to set them and in carving of timber, to work in all manner of workmanship. And I, behold, I have given unto him Aholiab, the son of Ahishmach, the, of the tribe of Dan, and in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted I have put wisdom, that they may make all that I have commanded thee, the tabernacle of the congregation and the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is thereupon, and all the furniture of the tabernacle, and the table and and his furniture, and the pure candlestick with all the furniture, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offerings with all his furniture, and the labor and his foot, and the cloths of service, and the holy garments for Aaron and the, pri- the priest, and the garments of his sons to minister in the priest's office, and the anointing oil and sweet incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded thee, shall they do. Now jump with me over, if you will, to the book of Exodus, and we want to look at the 35th chapter, and we want to begin in reading in verse number 30, Exodus chapter 35 and verse 30. And Moses said unto the children of Israel, See, The Lord hath called by by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And he hath filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship, to devise curious works, to work in gold and in silver and in brass, and in the cutting of stones, to set them in the carving of wood, to make any manner of cunning work. And he hath put in his heart that he may teach both he and Ahaliah, the son of Ahismaac, the tribe of Dan, them hath he filled with wisdom of heart to work all manner of work of the engraver and of the cunning workman and of the embroider in blue and purple, in scarlet and in fine linen, and of the weaver, even of them that do any work and of those that devise cunning work. Let's pray, could we? Our Father, we love you today. We're grateful for the opportunity to read your word and to gather here at South Valley. We praise you, Lord, for the opportunity to worship you today in your house. We love you. We pray now that as we open your word that you would edify us, dear God, that you would, through thy word, speak to us, that the Holy Spirit of God would do work in our midst and in our hearts today that he would have done. And Lord, we'll give you the credit and the glory. May we all be able to say that it's been good to be in the house of the Lord together. If there be one here that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, then I pray today that they would come to know Jesus in the wonderful and free pardon of their sins. We pray all these things in the name of Christ our Savior, and for his sake we pray them. 
Amen. Back in the early years when I, a number of years ago, it's not that I'm ancient, but back in the early years of my ministry when I pastored back in Georgia, we would go visit people in the various hospitals in Savannah. There was Memorial Hospital and St. Joseph's Hospital and Candler Hospital. And when you would go visit them, they had places reserved for pastors, ministers. You could go and park up close in a reserved place that was labeled for clergy only. And, and you were allowed to park closer to the building than other people did. Now, in order to get that parking space, you had to go in, sit down, tell them who you were, what church you were a part of, and you had to register with the hospital, and then they would give you a sticker that you would place upon your window, and that sticker would identify you so that they would know when you parked there that you weren't parking out of place. Now, leave it to me to have a problem with that, and I did have a problem with that because the sticker said clergy. And what that meant was basically that there was a class distinction that existed between the pulpit and the pew. It was just a word that bothered me. It was too much of a hierarchical word. And so what they were saying is, you're clergy, so you can park here. They're laity, meaning that they are the peons in the pew. And so they have to park somewhere out on the back 40 and walk all the way to the hospital in the hot, humid Georgia summer sun. And you get to park up close because you, you are a level different from them. It was like there was the ruling class and then there was the common class of parishioners otherwise known as peons. Now the Bible does not describe any such division. Nowhere in the scripture is that even hinted at. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, um, though the Bible does teach differing gifts, and the Bible does teach differing positions. The Bible does not teach class distinctions. And the Apostle Paul referred to himself as a brother. Brother. We're, we're brothers. He talked about himself being, and I use his words, a fellow servant. He, he discussed the fact, in speaking of Epaphroditus, he said, Epaphroditus is my brother and companion in labor. And then he used this words: he's a fellow soldier. We, we fight beside each other. We stand together in battle. We sleep in the same foxholes. We, we're in this together. I am his brother. I am his fellow servant. I am his fellow soldier. Nowhere in the scripture did Paul ever even remotely refer to an us-and-them mentality in the context of serving Christ. Now, if you go back in church history, you'll find out that what happened was that there was a system developed to where professional ministers traveled in, in groups and, and uh, they were distinguished from church attendees and therefore because they were more of a of what would be considered today a bishop, which is, by the way, all a bishop is is a local New Testament pastor, and, and, and yet it's been distorted. But we had these men that ruled over regions of churches, and because of that, because of that, uh, what happened was they were placed on a pedal of superiority, and a hierarchical system was developed and evolved that created distance between those who stood behind the pulpit and those who sat in a pew. Now, I've been there myself as a church member, and I love my pastor. I look up to my pastor. I honor my pastor. Uh, he did more for my family than, than, than I could ever reflect. It led my dad to Christ, and my pastor's in heaven today, and everything that I have of him is, is very, very fond memory the point I'm simply making is that there's not a class distinction. I think when that occurs, it does damage to both groups, both pastors and both the people. So I refused to take their, I refused to take their sticker and had to park out in the boondocks for the longest of time 
because I would not allow myself to put their sticker on. And so when I would go there, they would ask me, and I would say, I'm a pastor, but you don't have a sticker. If you're going to get a sticker, you could park over here. And I would say, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And so we went back and forth on this for a long period of time. Finally, they came up with stickers that said, pastor or minister. And so then I was able to take out my rightful place amongst the upper echelon of ministerial hierarchy and stop parking out with the peon. What a great privilege that was. Now here's the problem. The problem is that in our churches today, sometimes that very same mentality exists. Now stay with me. Sometimes we have class distinction. We have a hierarchical system of how things should be done and who's important. And, and I think it's a mental disorder in the church that for some reason we can't seem to shake and it colors the way we go about serving God. It, it, it messes with how God designed the New Testament. Even in our Baptist churches we have a clergy laity, us and them mentality that stifles the growth of God's people so many, many times. Now, I have a responsibility in this church, and, and I, I aim to fulfill that. I, I didn't assume that. God called me and gave me that, and that's who I am. I'm the pastor, and I have to see and make sure that things are done in a manner that is consistent with the Scripture. That's my responsibility. It's given to me throughout the Bible to take the oversight and to be an overseer, and that's important for me. And there are things that disqualify people. Sometimes it's not that they're disqualified. It's simply that they are not ready yet to do certain things and to assume certain uh, areas of responsibility. But when we get to the place to where we feel like there's level one and level two, what happens is it... Uh, deprives people uh, of their purpose and robs them of the joy of their service. What happens is, listen carefully, this is prevalent today. What is prevalent today is a consumer-mindedness in the church of God. How can you bless me? That's how people come to church. How, how can you bless me? What can you as a church do for me? That's why they're in church. I come today as a consumer. What are you offering? What are you giving? How can you bless me? How can you, how can you help me? Wait, 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 wait. How can you as a church serve me and meet my needs and fulfill my desires as an individual? That's what I'm looking for in a church. I'm a consumer. How can you do for me what I need done? May I suggest to you that that, that is a cancerous attitude to have when you come to the house of God. No church can fulfill all your needs. We can't raise your children for you. You can't come to a church and point off to the church, I've got a child that's problematic, how can you help my child? No, that's, no we can support you and, and, and we, can, we can give you, hopefully, Scripture and some tools to help you, but the responsibility for rearing your children is yours. You've got to do that. You can't hand that to somebody else. We can't meet all of your financial needs. That's not the job of the church. We can't plug all of the holes in your life and stop all of the leaks in your life. That's not why, that's not why we come to church. We even have ministers that see themselves above certain things that are viewed as menial tasks. Okay. We're too good to sweep a floor or to pick up paper. That, that, I, don't like, I don't like that. that. That bugs me to no end. It irritates me, the CEO mentality of the pulpit so many times, to where that's, that's, above, that's above or below my calling and below my pay grade I don't do that. Now, oftentimes when I'm sweeping the gym, in fact, most of the time, somebody comes and takes the broom from me, and that's fine with me. But it should never be in my heart that I'm above doing what everybody else does. Nor should it be in your heart 
If for some reason you can't bend over and pick up a piece of paper that, that, that needs picking up, then there's something wrong. I'll just be real honest with you. Listen to me. We, we set up and take down. Set up every Saturday, take down every Sunday afternoon. That is not above, that is not above our dignity. And there's going to be a day that God's going to give us a building. But in the meantime, every chair we put up, every, every time we roll the mats up, everything we do, no matter how menial it may be, if it's done in the name of Christ, it has as much purpose and honor in it to Him as what I'm doing this morning and presenting the Word of God to people. And so let's don't ever get to the place to where we feel like, well, I'm tired of this. We had somebody come to church one time, and they looked at what was going on Sunday morning after church, and he said, no thanks. Well, that's a bad place to be. You ought to be willing to mow the lawn for Jesus. Amen? Put up a chair for Jesus. Yeah. You, you, ought, you ought to be willing to do anything in his name that needs to be done, and you ought to do it with a smile on your face and a song in your heart. The reality, listen, listen, the reality, the reality that, that I'm going to leave the serving to the pastors or the pastors or I'm going to leave the menial task to the people, those are double cancers. We ought to work side by side. You know why? Because all we are is brothers. I, I have a calling, but you do too. And I think that's important to know. Now, let's, let's talk about our text. Because in our text, both texts, we read about a man by the name of Bezalel. He wasn't a prophet. Bezalel was not a priest. Bezalel was not a prince. By the way, he wasn't even chosen to be one of the people that penned one of the books of the Bible. In fact, Ernie, Bezalel was not allowed to park his chariot at the front of the hospital. He had to park his chariot out back where the peons were and walk like everybody else up to the hospital. That's Bezalel. Nothing immensely notable about the man as far as his birth or his position in society is noted in the Scripture. It's, it just simply paints the picture that here is a man, not a prophet, not a priest, not a prince, and yet here is a man that is being used by God, listen, to do a work that Moses could not do. He's doing something Moses couldn't do, Roman. He's not a priest. He's not a prophet. He's not a prince. But he has been equipped by God to do something that the man of God could not do. And in fact, if you read Exodus chapter 37, 38, and 39, you will read a description of the incredible work that God used this everyday Joe to do. It goes into the details that he built this and this and this, and he led people to join in and work with him. It was an amazing accomplishment and in fact he's mentioned by name eight times in the word of God six years ago a dear friend of mine who pastors in Minnesota Preston Hoyseth great great friend younger guy than me just wrote a little wrote a little statement about Bezalel I, I wrote it down. I actually took a picture of it with my phone and wrote it down and I went back to it recently as I was studying this man's life. Let me read what Preston said. I think it's important. He was a man who worked with his hands and knew how to make things out of metal and stone and wood. You don't have to be in ministry to have a ministry. You don't have to be a preacher to be called. Take the gifts that God has given you and use them for his glory. He has a work for you to do. And I say amen to what my friend Preston had to, uh, had to say. I, I, think it's, I think it's vitally important that we get some lessons from the life of this man, Bezalel. Lesson number one, 
God desires fellowship with all of us. I think that's important because sometimes we get the idea that God, I mean, listen, God's got best friends. You know his best friends are? They're preachers. No, sometimes preachers aren't even friends with God. Okay? Remember the story of a little girl that was praying at the table. They said, honey, why don't you pray? And she's praying through, and she was praying for a preacher, and she said, God bless the creature. She got it wrong. She put a C instead of a P. But sometimes preachers are creatures, okay? And, and they act more like creatures than they do preachers. So we get the idea that, you know, we're men of the cloth, and so God hovers over us. No, no, no. Sometimes we create our own platforms, our own pedestals. We try to, we try to fabricate an aura about us, change the way we talk. And when we pray about God, we actually call him God. We're not even German, but we pray about God. And our voice deepens, and, you know, we, we can't be serious. I mean, we can't be lighthearted. We have to be all the time serious. We talk about God's will, and people ask, how are you doing? Well, blessed above measure. Well, how are you today? Better than I should be, thank God. You know, stop all the stupidity and the, 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 the facade and all the garbage, the puffed-up ridiculousness that goes on. Listen to me. We're brothers. And the reality of the matter is that you have as much of God's desire to fellowship with you than, than someone that might be considered in ministry. You, you, don't walk, you don't walk across a platform. You don't walk across a platform and they give you a college degree and all of a sudden God says, wow, he graduated. Suddenly now, I want to be his friend. Now let me tell you something. God wants to be friends with you. Doesn't matter the level of education. Doesn't matter whatsoever. The name Bezalel means this, the shadow of God. He's not a preacher. He's not a prophet. He's not a priest. He's not a prince. And yet he is named the shadow of God. Shadow means that there is a nearness. I cannot, I cannot have your shadow over me unless I am near you. And it indicates there was a closeness in this man's fellowship with the Lord. It indicates the presence of the Lord was over him. My life's verse is Psalm 91.1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And the reason that's my, my life's verse that I have clung to is because I realize that if I will walk with God in the secret place, that I can have the shadow of the presence of God upon my life. And I want that more than anything. Because to be out from under his shadow means that I am not near him, that I have not drawn nigh to God, draw nigh to God, and he shall draw nigh to you. What does that mean? It means get under his shadow. Get under the shadow of the Almighty. And the Holy Spirit will take us to places that we, we recognize and understand. I don't know if you've ever been on a farmyard, okay? How many of you had chickens when you were a kid, okay? Good night. This is a city crowd. Y'all got problems. When my kids were young, we got Rhode Island Reds. And uh, we wanted our kids to have the experience of gathering eggs and thought it would be good for them, and so we, we did. We got some cows and things like that, you know, and raised the cows and took the cows to the market, and they had to eat their cows. You know what I'm talking about? That, that was traumatic. Helped them get over a lot of traumatic experiences in their life. We had a cow named T-Bone that they would ride. Well, when T-Bone got big, we took T-Bone to the slaughterhouse. So we went and picked it up and had it in bags in the back. We were taking it home. Terry had asked him away. She said, where are we going, Daddy? I said, we're going to get T-Bone. I didn't think about So when we're riding, she's looking. She says, Daddy, where's T-Bone? And so we handed her a package of meat and said, here, it's T-Bone. That T-bone, well, it traumatized her. She wasn't eating hamburger. Of course, Nathan is just wolfing down burgers, you know. He don't care if it's T-bone or not. And Tara's, Daddy, stop. You know, make him stop. He's enjoying, here, Tara, want some T-bone? But anyhow, you know how kids are. And, 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 and the reality 
of the matter was those were good experiences for our kids. We had chickens. And the thrilling thing was when our chickens hatched out some baby chicks. And one of the things would happen when something would come, I had a yellow lab named Crockett, and when Crockett would walk near the pen, all those little chicks would just take off for mama. And she'd just lift up those wings, and they were right under there. She'd put those wings down, and you might see a little face or a little beak peeping out from under those feathers, but they all ran under mama's wings. When it got cold at night, you always knew why there were no chicks down on the floor running around in circles. It's because the chicks were under mama's wings enjoying the warmth and security of mother's body. Listen to me. God said this over and over in the scriptures. I want you to know where your security and protection is at. I want you to know where you can find the warmth, the fellowship. It's under my wings. And so he gives us a barnyard illustration of what God is to us as his children. Psalm 17, verse 8, Keep me as the apple of thine eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Psalm 36, verse 7, How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. Psalm 30, uh, 57, verse 1, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me. For my soul trusteth in me, yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. Psalm 67, verse 3, Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. Now, I want you to look at me. Bezalel means the shadow of God. And the very name, which is, which is never randomly chosen in the Scriptures, the very name identifies the fact that he was under the shadow of God. Did you know this? Did you know you can turn other places for your security? Your warmth? Your help? I mean, when trouble comes in your life, where do you run? Somebody said, why do you need God? Why do we need prayer when we got Visa and MasterCard? I mean, where, where do you look to? Confidence in, in an unfaithful man in time of needs like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Listen, you can run to men, and men, men can only offer you so much help, and sometimes they will flat out fail you. So where are you running for security? For hope, for help. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 30, would you look there for just a moment? Just jump over to Isaiah chapter number 30. Let me show you a couple of verses of Scripture. Isaiah 30 verse 1. Isaiah 30 verse 1. Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel. Yeah, they're looking for counsel, but not of me. And that cover with the covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Watch this. They walk to go down to Egypt. Egypt's always a type of the world. And have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh. Watch. And to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Now you look at me. Listen to me. Who shadows over your life today? Whose shadow is over your life? You try to figure it out all on your own? You're trying to run to the world? God is warning us, do not. Do, no, you're looking for counsel, but you're looking in the wrong place, God said. No, no, do not go. Do not go to the world and expect to find security and warmth. Don't allow the shadow of Egypt to be over your life. So here's Bezalel, and it tells me, I love this, the shadow of God. Well, wait a minute, that's for Moses. It may be Aaron or the prophets. No, no, no. This is a man that worked with his hands and lived his life under the shadow of God. God wants fellowship with you as much as he wants fellowship with me. And he wants fellowship with me as much as he wants fellowship with you. We're all his children and God loves us. The second thing I want you to 
notice from this, and that is God uses ordinary people. God uses ordinary. Now, God wants fellowship with all of us, but it's not just that he wants to fellowship with us. Listen carefully. This, this, this man's life teaches me that God doesn't just want fellowship with everybody. God wants to use us, ordinary, ordinary people. Here's a man who wasn't a Moses. Here's a man that wasn't even an Aaron. Here's a man that wasn't chosen to face down uh, the most powerful man in the world uh, or lead the children of Israel across the Red Sea. As far as we know, he never delivered a great speech. Four score and seven years ago. He never did one of those. He never stood and held men spellbound by the gift of the tongue. He was not a wordsmith. He was not a man that crafted sentences for a living. This was not a man that held people in the sway of his voice. He just made things out of stone and metal and wood. Hey, Bezalel, Bezalel, how many armies did you lead? Did you stand like Caesar and cross the Rubicon and turn back to your men and say, the die is cast? And they all followed you to what could be death, but they followed you nonetheless. Did you move men like that? No. But I built that. I made that with my hands. No history book will ever record one single speech he made. But the word of a living God said that man took what he could do with his hands and he used those to make things for my glory. God uses ordinary people. Probably a very unassuming man. That's the picture I get. But you know what God did? Listen, listen. God called him by name. God said, Bezalel, that's who I'm going to use to do this work. Isaiah 45, verse 9, listen to this. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Let the potsherds strive with the uh, potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay, shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it, what makest thou or thy work? He hath no hands. Isaiah 64, verse 8, But now, O Lord, thou art our Father. We are the clay, and thou all the work of thy hand. You know what God said? You and I, you know what we are? You ready for this? We're clay. That's what we came from. That's how he molded man out of the mud clay from the banks of the Euphrates River and breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. And that's all man ever has been. That's all that man ever will be. And clay has no inherent value. It's common, ordinary stuff until the potter gets it. I've been to the potter's house and saw him take clay and slap it on his wheel and he's pressing that treadle with his foot, that wheel begins to spin, that table begins to spin, and that potter will dip his hand down in the water, and he'll take it, and he'll begin to press and press into the clay, and the clay begins to rise off of that, and he may slow the wheel down and stop it entirely and reach down and pull out an impurity, a hard piece of rock or twig that should not be there that mars the part listen to me there's been times in my life that my heavenly father my potter has stopped the wheel totally shut it down stopped the movement stopped the forward progress and has pried from my life things that should not be there he's pulled for me obstinate and hard pieces that were hindering his work and then god will put a little water on that and he'll begin to smooth that back out and he'll begin to work that and i'm back at it again and he's molding my life and working my life you know why because the process of our life is the potter making something out of the life of the clay that's a vessel fit for his glory. 
We don't have the power to do that, do we? <laughs> we overlook the pieces of stone. We, over, we overlook the twigs that are in there. We just say, okay, well, yeah, I got some flaw. No, no, God takes it out. That's the job of the potter is to know the things that will mar it. And then he remakes it again and again. Nothing fancy or elaborate about clay. You stand there at a wedding altar, and the pastor says, uh, do you have something to indicate your love for this woman? Yes, I do. Would you put it upon her finger? Yes, I will. And they pull out a little tub, and it's got clay. So he grabs a blob of it and mashes it around her finger, and then sort of pinches the top of it where it looks like a thing, and there she stands there with a nice clay ring. No, doesn't work. Okay? Not going to work that way. Clay is common, ordinary stuff. And that's all we are. Look at me. Now listen, come on, let's be honest. That's all Moses was. That's all Aaron was. That's all Elijah was. That's all Elisha was. That's all, that's all, listen, that's all that God uses. That's all that the potter uses is common, ordinary stuff. That's all that God uses is common, ordinary stuff. And that's what Bezalel was. God uses ordinary people. Third of all, I want you to know this. God equips what he uses. Now, here's the beautiful thing. Well, preacher, I, 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 don't, I, 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 don't, I don't have what it takes. Great. He does. You see, he, he, he's the one that has, if we're all common, ordinary people, we're just vessels of clay, uh, then all we have is ordinary power to do ordinary things. So how can we take ordinary power and do supernatural things? We have to be plugged into a supernatural God. It's his power that enables us. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who, Paul said, who hath enabled me, and that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Where does your enabling come from? I went to college. No, don't work. Well, I, I, got, I got some skill sets. I went to Dale Carnegie School of How to Win Friends and Influence Enemy. No, it won't work. Well, I, took some, I took some sales courses. I built my personality. I'm, 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 pretty, I'm, I'm pretty good. No, it won't work. In fact, it'll ruin you is what it'll do. So how do you get God's work done with God's power? Paul said, who hath enabled me? God wants to, God wants to empower you with his spirit to do his work. Look, look what it said in Exodus 31, talking about Bezalel. It says, see, I've called Bezalel the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I've filled him with the spirit of God. So God said this, this is a spiritual battle, this is spiritual work. Listen, this is, this, is, this is in the realm of spiritual things. I will give you my spirit to get the work done that I've called you to do. So God, God wants to empower you with his spirit. You can't do it on your own. You're not smart enough, good enough, better enough. You, you're just not. You can't do it. I'm reminded when Zerubbabel was faced with the enormous task of rebuilding the temple that there were people that mocked him. And, and, and a great group of people stood around him and said, hey, this, no, 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 this is too big for you, boy. You'll never get this temple done. And it'll never be like the first temple was. And God sent word to Zerubbabel. And in chapter number 4, verse uh, 6, he answered and said this, Zerubbabel, it's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Zerubbabel, they're right. You cannot get this done on your might and your power. But you can if you let me give you the power that you need to get the job done. Not only does God want to empower us, he wants to Give us what we need to accomplish his will. I remember when I was called to preach, son, hang it up, forget it, it's over. No, no, 
No. First of all, it's going to be very hard for me to preach and quarterback a Super Bowl team. There's conflicts that are there. I had, look, you know, I, you know, I, had, I had everything figured out where I was going. Wasn't football, it was going to be baseball. And I had it all figured out. My, I mean, from the time I was six, that was what my dream was. But the reality of the matter is this. I was afraid. I was scared to death. And I've told you this before, but I remember my youth pastor, Ray Turner, asked me to preach for the first time on a Sunday afternoon in our teen group. And I remember leaning over the pulpit like this. Why? Why did I do that? Because the pulpit was holding me up. That's why. That way I didn't fall on my face. I hated it. Are you kidding me? I'm not volunteering for this. But you know what God does? He gives you the tools you need. When you get a new tool in your hand, you don't know how to use it. But that's what God does. He trains you and he uses others in your life to help teach you. And and, and, and it's a process that has that has to be a, a process of, of patience. It says in, in verse 1, not only did he give him the Spirit, but in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding. God said, I'll, I'll give you what you need, and I'll teach you how to use it. I think of the men over my life that have influenced me and helped me learn how to just do what God's called me to do. And whatever job God has for you, Look, you sit back and say, I can't, I don't think I can do that. No, God, no, God's not going to throw you out there. He's going to empower you and enable you and help you to get it done. Here's the deal. Listen, I've got to go to my last point, but listen to me carefully. If Bezalel had tried to lead the nation of Israel across the Red Sea, he'd have fallen flat on his face. Do you know why? God didn't equip him to do that. That wasn't his calling. Stay, look, my friend Bill Prater has a message called Stay in Your Lane. Just stay in your lane. Just stay in your lane. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Stay in your lane. What's God called you to do? What's your, what's your niche? Maybe it's just loving people and inviting people to church. That's fine. Just stay in your lane. God hasn't called me to pastor somebody else's church. God hasn't gifted me. You know where, you know where God's called me, right? This is my lane. God's called me right here, South Valley Baptist Church. I'm just staying in my lane. I've got friends everywhere, but I'm not looking at their ministry and criticizing their ministry and checking out what they are doing or what they aren't doing. I'm just going to stay in my lane. And the reality is simply this. God will equip you not to do somebody else's job. Never get jealous. You, you, listen, never get jealous of what somebody else is doing. You don't know the burdens that go with it. Just be thankful for what God's given you to do and be satisfied to do just that. Last of all, and I'm going to close with this, this is so important. God has a purpose for all of our lives. Here's Moses. Okay, Moses, I want you to face down the most powerful man on earth. His name is Pharaoh. He's holding my children captive in Egypt. I want you to go look him in the eye and say, you better let those people go or else. You know what Moses said? Lord, I don't know how to do that. I stutter. I can't put two sentences together good. Somebody thinks that maybe in the backside of the desert for 40 years, Moses had a stroke and it gave him a speech impediment. And he stands there stuttering before God and he says, I can't do this. And God said, okay, I'll help you. I'll give you somebody to help. You'll find out, by the way, it wasn't long that Aaron stopped speaking and Moses took over the whole show. That was, that was God's calling to Moses. But look at me. Listen to me. Moses didn't build the tabernacle. Bezalel did. God gave Bezalel to Moses And he said to Moses, everything that I've commanded you to do in that tabernacle, this guy, he's going to organize everybody and get it done. Bezalel helped Moses carry out the vision that God had given Moses. Bezalel didn't argue and say, well, I don't think that's the way that ought to be made. Moses said, this is is how God wants it. And Bezalel said, I'll help you get that done, Moses. He didn't try to... 
He didn't try to commandeer the idea of the pieces of furniture. He just said, Moses, what did God tell you? I'll help you do that. And God has a purpose for you. It is God, Philippians 2.13, which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And you may say here today, preacher, I don't know what God wants me to do. Just be faithful. Just do the things that you know to do. Don't worry about the things you don't know what to do. I, I didn't know what God wanted me to do when I was 14 or 15. It took a little while for me to get faithful to God where through that faithfulness, God walked me to the place where he wanted me to be. You don't have to know everything about the future right now. What is the will of God for your life? Well, you may not know that. But I will tell you that it's the will of God that you be faithful to him and that you serve him. And God will use you. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Just humble before God. And in God's timing, God will bring you to the place to where he wants you to be. Our responsibility is to yield ourselves to his plan and his purpose and to keep ourselves pure that God can use us. Second Timothy 2.21, If therefore a man purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use. You say, well, preacher, I've made some bad, I've made some bad decisions in my life. And I've done some dumb things. I got myself in places I should not be, and, and, and I'm embarrassed. I, I'm not even sure that God can ever use you again like maybe you wanted him to. But let that verse speak to you. Purge yourself. God can make you a vessel unto honor. I love, I love in Jeremiah where the clay was marred, not by the hand of the potter, in the hand of the potter. As the potter was trying to do his work, the clay was marred. And you know what the Bible said? It says, and he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make. Now I want you to look at me, every one of you. There is not one single one of us in this room or anybody listening on live stream that is not a remade vessel. We've all been remade. We've all had flaws. He said to pull things out of all of our life. Every one of us are remade vessels. And he made it as, as such as would be good to the potter to make it. So you know what God can do? You say, preacher, I, I've made some mistake. No, God can remake you. That's the great thing about God. <laughs> Listen, God uses broken vessels. God uses broken vessels. Marred, messed up, flawed, broken, scarred vessels. God uses them. You can stay as you are, where you are, or you can get back on track and do something that's lasting for His glory. 476 years after Exodus 31. 476 years later. First, Second Chronicles chapter 1, verse 5. You know what God said? See that altar? Bezalel made that altar. That's basically what he said. That's the altar that Bezalel made. You know what Solomon did? 476 years later, he offered a thousand sacrifices on that altar. The work that God used this ordinary man to do, that just worked with his hands, 476 years later, it's still impacting the lives of people. He did not etch his name in marble. He etched his name in hearts. And what he did was still blessing people all those years later.
Now, now here, here's, here's, this, is, this is the message. This is it. You may not be a Moses, but you can be a Bezalel. And Bezalel had a job to do that Moses could not do. Moses had a job to do Bezalel couldn't do. Stay in our lane and realize this. God uses ordinary people to do eternal works with. That ought to encourage every single one of us lumps of clay that gathered here today. Let's, let's bow our heads. Could we do that? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Boy, the life of Bezalel challenged me. Takes the pressure off, doesn't it? We don't have to be somebody. In fact, you know what we are? We're nobodies. But somebody uses and will use to help other people. Preacher, I don't have a lot of gifts. Great. I have a lot of skills. Wonderful. I'm really... I'm really not I don't have a I don't have a really big resume super good you have a heart for God God will use you it may not be in the spotlights the only spotlight please the only spotlight you ever should desire is his not man's not a church If what we do is to get praise, oh, we're in it for the wrong reason. Just find, just find a little place over in the shadow of God. Love people. Love people. Tell people about Jesus. Love them. Help them. Encourage them. Send them a note. Do what you can do where God's placed you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, let us take a Bible show you how you can know for sure you're saved. Father, we thank you today for the life of this dear average man. It was a man that you placed within him, the wisdom and the knowledge and the skill. He was gifted. It was gifted by you. And you always equip us. Whatever it is that you've called us to do, you always give us the wherewithal to do it. Help us, Father, I pray, that we would be Bezalels, common, down-to-earth, ordinary lumps of clay, honored to be used by the potter in whatever way seems good to him. In Jesus' name I pray these things.